You're listening to episode 83 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara. And there's baseball happening. Kind of. But how long will it last? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for hanging out with us yet again as we count down the days to when baseball might possibly start and then kind of try to figure out what that means and what it looks like. I'm Tara, back with Alex again this week. And Alex, we kind of sort of have a glimpse of baseball again tonight. I I know when it was the first go round of spring training, I would start every show by asking you, has baseball started yet? So I feel somewhat obligated as we're watching this very strange and wonderful inter-squad game in St. Louis. Has baseball started yet? Well, um, tough question. I'll say this. It's gotten to a point I didn't even think we'd get to. And just yeah. seeing this on TV and uh, to put in context for what we are seeing on TV, it's a split squad game, as you mentioned, basically the Cardinals versus the Cardinals at an empty Bush Stadium. Uh, they are playing each other. John Gant is currently on the mound with quite a weave going on. Um, and this is the first time I'm seeing like the swooshes on the uniform. This is basically the first time I've tuned into anything this year. And I will say, cause I've been very pessimistic about really anything happening. Seeing this is the first time where I'm like, you know what, maybe this actually will happen and this actually will come to fruition. Yeah. I, Totally agree. And I'm a little surprised by that because the sort of structural and logistical issues that were a problem yesterday are very much still a problem today. But watching this, I I feel exactly the same way. It's like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Maybe maybe this really will work. And I don't know if that's just, you know, the... (laughs) the mind games or the, the tricks my brain is playing on me and wanting to watch more of this. (laughs) But I think we've talked about it the last several weeks in that the longer we didn't have baseball, the easier it was to not miss baseball. And now that I'm seeing this and I'm seeing, you know, even in a zero zero game in the eighth inning, that's taken like an hour and 12 minutes so far (laughs) uh, between players that would not normally be opposing each other. This has been weirdly entertaining in the very simple sense that there's baseball of some kind happening. And all of a sudden, I I want it more than I did yesterday. (laughs) I I have a question for you because you just mentioned how quickly this game got to the eighth inning. Yeah. And understand your answer to this question does not in any way indicate how big of a baseball fan you are. Um, Yeah. any answer is allowed. But after seeing a game just glide along to the eighth inning after like an hour and a half, does a part of you say, huh, maybe this is how a, a normal game should go? <laughs> or are you, are you good with the three-hour, 10-minute, 15-minute games that we usually have? You know what I think is so interesting about this is that it's the commercial breaks that are shorter. Now, <laughs> granted, they're, they're not scoring any runs, so that makes a big difference. Sure. I've always been a huge fan of pitchers' duel-type games, but when the commercial breaks are like 20 seconds, it moves things along a lot quicker, and I think that plays a uh, part of it too. So to answer your question, 
I have no problem talking about, you know, kind of keeping the pace of the game in mind and making sure that things move along. There are games that turn into three and a half hour adventures where we're all just like, okay, all right, someone just ended already. But I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm enough of a baseball fan that I don't mind three hours of baseball, but a game like this where you look up and realize it's almost over, I don't know, maybe it's a little too quick. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> but I, it's, it's, there are, you know, maybe, maybe a happy medium there would be ideal that, you know, two hours and 15 minutes, that'd be great. But I, for sure, I totally get those who say three and a half hours is way too long. I think two hours and 50 minutes, that's five zero, is a perfect length for a baseball yeah. game. I think three hours is totally acceptable. I think when you start getting over three hours, it's kind of, uh, and I'm talking about nine innings. I'm not talking about extra innings. You know, extra right. innings, all rules go out the window. But you start getting over three hours, and um, yeah, it can start getting a little long. I don't know why. Why am I talking about this? Baseball's finally back. I'm already complaining about it being on <laughs> um, too long. <laughs> so I, I have a, if you don't mind, I have a few more takes about what we're witnessing right now. Uh, I, absolutely. Very I love minor. Uh, some more minor than others. Um, first, very minor thing i'd like to say why is the away why are the away cardinals one in cubby blue on my screen uh, <laughs> where their score where their score is and two That's a good question shouldn't the away team be wearing the the navy hats like, yes both teams should not Absolutely. be in the red hats all right so those are two very uh very minor points a little not as minor point is it's going to be really hard to get used to this no crowd thing it's weird, right? Very weird. Yeah. It's it's weird on a lot of levels. From the TV production side of my world, man, every time we're shooting something, we're trying not to show open seats. We're trying not to show <laughs> empty stands. And, you know, that's when you're you're shooting into the outfield for a shot to put a graphic over or, you know, whatever it is. So the the empty seat thing is really jarring for my brain because <laughs> I've spent so many years looking for ways to avoid showing empty seats. But then from the baseball fan standpoint, yeah, it's just weird. It's it's weird that it's quiet. Quite honestly, I um I like hearing some of the kind of the sounds of the game a little more. And I know there's some concern. They were talking on the broadcast tonight that they're going to pipe in some sounds in order to prevent some sort of, um, you know, advantage to an opponent or something like that. And uh, I get it, but the, the piped in sound is a little weird to me. It's funny. I was listening to John Mozeliak, who was on the broadcast for quite a while tonight and was, very enjoyable to listen to. I feel like he's missed some human interaction in the last couple of months like we all have. But he was making note that, you know, he kind of liked the addition of the the pumped in sound because when you're at a game, you don't want it to be so silent. And I kind of disagree with that. And this is just, I don't expect a lot of people to feel this way. But when I go to minor league games or when I'm working minor league games, one of the things that is really fun about that is the atmosphere. But one of my favorite things is being there early and being there for BP or with guys out you doing infield drills or whatever. And you hear so much more of the actual game sound. And I love that. I love that kind of quiet (laughs) before the storm, 
just baseball kind of noise that, um, you know, you're hearing right now in, in these highlights or broadcasts that are streaming from various teams right now. I don't know. The, the no fans thing is weird. I think the fake fan sound <laughs> might be a little more strange to me. Um, I don't. All right. So I watched a little bit of an English premier league this past game, this past Saturday. And they have piped in noise and it was totally fine. Um, now one, I'm a soccer, I'm, I'm like an incredible soccer novice. I barely know anything about soccer. So I could have been missing the finer points of what a normal soccer crowd sounds like. But to me, and again, uh, this may be to my untrained ears. It sounded exactly like the normal white noise you would hear, uh, during, uh, a normal soccer mm, yeah. game or match um, match game. What, what? <laughs> Either or. Either or. Okay. <laughs> Works right. for me. <laughs> All right. So, but baseball, like I feel like you can almost watch a soccer uh, whatever thing, and you barely see the crowd as opposed to a baseball game. There's constantly, you know, foul balls going into the crowd. Um, but again, this just could be me knowing so much more about the sport and having so much more interaction with baseball than I do soccer. I really feel like I need that crowd um, and that noise to kind of like go with the momentum of the game. And it's going to be so weird not to have it. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the announcers to really bring these games home, to really put people like you and I watching on television to really put us like in the action of what's happening. Yeah, which is a really interesting challenge for them. I think we'll find out who the most captivating announcers maybe really are. And I mean, I've called games for high school or small colleges where there really weren't fans in the stands. So I maybe that's some of my perspective is that it's not entirely new to me to watch baseball without crowd noise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do also think uh, the the noise that we will hear, if you're not aware of it, you probably won't think a whole lot of it. You're, you're right on as far as that is concerned, I think. But I, I will be interested to see how it affects... Um, like big moments in games, right? Where there would normally be the electricity of of the buzz of the crowd and the excitement and the energy of actual humans. I don't know that you can replicate that with just noise. So in those big moments where it's, you know, bases loaded in a tie game with two outs and a 3-2 count, those moments, I don't know how they're going to... I don't know how it's going to live up to the kind of moments we're used to seeing, I guess, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very weird. And I don't know if I'm, I, I assume I'll eventually get used to it, but <laughs> it, it's not an improvement. That's for sure. No, no, certainly not. And it's just one of the many weird things I think we're going to have to get used to at least for this season. And hopefully that's it. <laughs> Hopefully it's not any longer than that as far as these changes being made. It's also been interesting to see how players have adapted. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the health and safety protocols and if they make sense and if they're strong enough and if players are going to play along or if that's what's going to be the downfall of the season. I know I don't remember who it was the other day. Might have been someone from the Astros basically said the team that stays the healthiest is going to be the team that wins this mm -hmm. season. And yeah. that's kind of terrifying, but also a 
harsh part of this reality. But I think part of what I have, have enjoyed so much about watching this split, split squad game tonight is that, I mean, they're playing. So at this point, in this moment, all of those concerns are kind of for another time, just in the sense that they're already out there. They're already playing. This is what's happening. And maybe that's why for the first time I felt like, okay, I, I could actually enjoy this, even though it's all a little bit weird right now. Yeah, I... I, I think I might have a lot of games on mute even with like uh, maybe music playing in the background yeah. <laughs> on my end or I'm going to probably end up exploring with experimenting with a lot of different things. Uh, why is Flaherty what, why is Flaherty still pitching? And is there a pitch count? Oh, did you see that? It went off the base. Um, do we have a My My or? live stream oh. is lagging so oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had well, to restart it, so I'm a few seconds behind. But that's a good question. I don't know why Flaherty is still pitching. Well, it doesn't have a graphic telling you how many pitches he's at, and maybe they want him to, uh, you know, throw, you know, upwards of ninety. I don't know. Um, as quickly as this game is going, that is probably it. As much as anything, it's just yeah. if they want him to be stretched out. Although, I mean, that's something we could talk about here. Not to sidetrack from what you were saying, but these how they handle the starting rotation is going to be fascinating to me because they still have more potential starting pitchers than they need for five spots, but are they all going to be ready to go six innings? And if not, do you, a lot of people are talking about piggyback starts, all that, that kind of thing. So yeah, watching Flaherty now in what is the bottom of the eighth inning of a still scoreless <laughs> inter-squad game. Uh, I don't know kind of, what the thought process is behind that. Yeah, well, Flaherty did just exit. He has been replaced by a bespectacled relief pitcher who I don't even, I, I know who it is, but I can't even tell you who it is right now because it's been so long that I totally forgot who, uh, oh, what? okay, it's Webb. Uh, I totally forgot what our players even look like. I'm, I feel, I feel like I've never watched baseball before. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I need to like... Uh, I don't know, take some like refresher course in <laughs> all things baseball. You're asking about how they're going to handle the pitching staff. Now, when you say like, will everyone be able to go six innings, stuff like that, do you mean because it's been such a short uh, run up to when the games actually start? Like, yeah, well, yeah. we normally see them ramp up at the end of spring training and then they still aren't, you know, they'll maybe go five innings and not seven. And there's, I don't know that there's really a good slow ramp up time period this, this go around. Right. Yeah, I don't know, and I guess um, you know it's impossible not to talk about this. Although I almost don't want to, because I feel like we've talked about this so much, uh, talked about this so much last year. But I guess that'll play into Carlos maybe being in the bullpen, um, mm. depending on if that's how they're going to plan on using him. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Uh, we don't even know who that fifth starter will be, right? I, I assume it'd be some yeah. combination of either. Uh, Gomber or KK or all right, I'm going to ask a really stupid question. That's going to uh, <laughs> uh, betray my wisdom of how much I've been paying attention. Um, is KK with the club right now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yes, he is. All right. I thought so, but I wasn't positive. Well, evidently I saw a story earlier this week that he ended up, staying and basically working out with Adam Wainwright. And if no Wayno okay. hadn't had him, I don't know that he was staying with Wayno, 
but he was staying in the area to work out with Adam Wainwright. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had a throwing partner and he would have had to go home. And at this point, you know, coming back seems to be the bigger problem for a lot of people right now, uh, Gallegos included, trying yeah. to travel from Mexico. Can we talk yes, about how he awesome is here. of a guy Adam Wainwright is? Um, yes, we should spend a whole podcast talking about that. All right, a guy who's end of his career. I mean, this could be his last ride. Um, still taking time to, uh, and I'm going purely on what you just said, but it sounds exactly like something Adam Wainwright would do. Um, going out of his way to like, and he's always been like this, making new guys feel welcome, uh, yeah. helping out the younger guys. Um, he has just been the best ambassador you could ask for. And he's going to go down as like one of my favorite Cardinals of all time, uh, partly because of how big of, you know, uh, component he was in such huge moments, whether it's striking out Brandon Inge to win the 06 World Series or striking out Beltran and, you know, how great he was uh, going forward. Um, but mostly just because of how awesome of a guy he is. Like, he just seems like such a genuine and good guy. Um, even though yeah. there's a very good chance, like, if he and I sat down and talked that we would disagree on a lot of things he just still seems like a very very good person and I've always appreciated having him on the team what's so great to me about Adam Wainwright and look I don't know everyone who's ever interacted with Wayno but when someone is kind of set up to be that great of a guy <laughs> you are almost just waiting for that one story to pop up where it's like it's not all true. It's all a facade or it's all, I was talking to somebody the other day, not about anyone in sports, just someone in business who everyone who knows this name and has interacted with them on a, a business front as a customer or a client just thinks the world of them, but the people that work for them don't do anything but complain about them. And the thing that seems so great about Adam Wainwright is that every on every level, it seems like people talk about him in such absolute glowing terms in kind of with the foundation of this this nice guy thing. <laughs> it's not an act. It's very real and it's very genuine and it's just who he is and it's how he has chosen to live his life. So, yeah, as much as I appreciate Adam Wainwright for his baseball skill and for what he's done for the team and how he's been a part of so many moments. I feel so lucky to watch him change people's lives in very real ways that don't really have anything to do with baseball other than that it gave him a platform. So whether it's helping KK out in not uh, sort of stranding him in the U.S. without a throwing partner or the things that he's done for minor leaguers. If you remember a couple couple years back, trying to remember, I think it was Ryan Sheriff. His first year, he got invited to big league spring training. He didn't have a car, so Wayno rented him a car for the duration of spring training just so that he didn't have to walk, uh, that kind of thing. He just does it, and he doesn't think twice about it, and it's just who he is, so... I don't really know how we got there, <laughs> but yes, Adam Wainwright, gem of a human. And look, I, I don't know what to expect from him out of the starting rotation to kind of steer this back to that conversation, but I'm glad that we get another chance to see him rather than not playing baseball at all this year, at least we hope, and not knowing if he ever comes back at all. Yeah, and he was 
as much of what we could have wanted from him last year. He was, he, yeah. He, yeah. you know, he, he was good. Uh, there were a few moments where he was great and it was so fun to watch. Uh, and, you know, he actually pitched pretty well in the postseason. Um, I'm thinking of the actual NLCS, but was kind of let down by the bullpen, if I recall. Is that, if, yeah. am, I, am I remembering this correctly? Well, more let down by the offense, ah, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, was, yeah. I was at that Saturday yeah. game that he pitched in the NLCS, and it was kind of a pitch-for-pitch pitch duel That's for the right. longest time. Yes. And every time the Cardinals had a chance to score, they didn't. And then, you know, Wayno gave up, I don't remember, one or two runs and left the game. And then it was like, well, now it looks like it's his fault. <laughs> but it really wasn't. <laughs> that's right. I'm remembering that now. And, you know, that's happened. To- oh, my gosh. Please tell me that's not live. Okay. It's not. All right. They just showed a live shot of Ballpark Village. They- not a live shot. They just showed a shot of <laughs> yeah. Ballpark Village just packed with people. And But it was a... Uh, I don't have the volume on, so I'm just watching on mute. It was a flashback to when they were uh, inducting people into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Ah, uh, yeah. Which, yeah. which Wainwright will be inducted to the, into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Yes. Today. But uh, no, that's happened to Wainwright a couple times. The Ishikawa game, the Travis Ishikawa game, yeah. or I guess the <laughs> Matheny-Waka game. He pitched a great game, and uh, yeah, and, he, and no one remembers that because we only remember yeah. the Grand Slam um, that you know Ishikawa hit, so... What can he do? Yeah. Well, hopefully he gets a chance for more of those moments, and hopefully the offense is better this year. Who ends up in the rotation with him? I mean, you were talking about Carlos Martinez a little bit. That continues to be just such a strange story to me. And I was talking about this with Daniel Shoptaw the other day, but I know, especially with this is the other bit of news this week, Jordan Hicks opting out of the season, obviously coming off of Tommy John, was maybe not going to pitch to start the season. And then just that additional shortening of his year doesn't seem like it's worth the risk considering his health situation with diabetes. So with Jordan Hicks being out, with John Brebbia being out, with Giovanna Gallegos still not here, as well as Reyes and Cabrera having tested positive and waiting for that result to or for that situation to clear up. I mean, the bullpen gets a little weird and I get the interest in Carlos Martinez in the bullpen, but I also, I just feel like you can only string a guy along for so long telling him that you want him to be a starter, but he might not be before that does some real weird, I don't know, rewiring in his brain about whether or not there's actually confidence in him to to do his job. So I don't know. What do you make of the Carlos Martinez thing? And if he should be in the rotation, whether Jordan Hicks is in the bullpen or not? Uh, well, you know, I don't know how to correctly analyze a 60-game season as compared to a 162-game season, I don't think. So I'm just right. going to pretend it's a 162-game season. Um and say what I always said last year, which is that it's ridiculous that he's not a starting pitcher, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I still don't quite understand it. Um, I've heard things here and there. I want to say maybe on this past week's Meet Me at Mutual, Shoptal mentioned that it, or someone mentioned, maybe Ben Godard, because he was a guest, said something to the effect of it had to do with uh, you know warming up as a relief pitcher coming off that injury was different than warming up as a starter. Um, and she, yeah, I, and I get that, but it seemed like all of like I, I get that for the 2018 season, I think. But it seemed like there, right. I never yeah. quite understood why they didn't try him as a starter last year. Um, I've 
never thought they've handled him well overall as both a uh, player and uh, and off the field. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't like it, but <laughs> I, I have to go in assuming these people know more or know something uh, than I do, know something that I don't know. Um, and, and yeah, that's it. I, I really, I really don't know. I, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about how depleted this bullpen could be because you mentioned Hicks opted out of the season, and I think that's great. Uh, you know, especially coming off Tom, you know, coming off Tommy John, why not just take the whole, the yeah. whole year, um, especially if you're worried about your health. There's absolutely no reason for him to uh, pitch. Um, but the, yeah, but. That does mean we could have a depleted bullpen, and so then maybe Carlos will have a role there. But why not Gomber have a role there? Why not uh, yeah. KK have a role there? Why not one of the guys who hasn't proven themselves as a durable and good starter as Carlos has? Yeah, and there are still a lot of guys in the mix. We watched Gomber tonight, and I remembered how exciting he is as a pitcher. And there just might not be a spot in the rotation unless they do some version of piggyback. But then you also have Daniel Ponce de Leon. You have Cody Whitley, who is getting a lot of attention. Uh, Johan Oviedo is very young, but a lot of people seem to like him. So there are options for the bullpen that aren't quite as proven perhaps, but I don't know. I guess it, it comes down to, do you want, do you want Carlos Martinez if he is healthy to be that one, two punch with Jack Flaherty, or do you want him to be the guy at the back end of the bullpen? And my position has always been that I think there's more value with him in the rotation than there is in the bullpen, even though he's certainly capable of being very effective in the bullpen. I think you can pick up those innings with some of those other guys that were mentioned. Fernandez is in the mix. Um, Obviously Miller and Helsley and Webb that we just saw are in that mix, as well as when you get Cabrera back, you get Gallegos, you figure out what is possibly happening with Alex Reyes because no one seems to know at least not that they're sharing. So there are other bullpen options. It just goes from being more of a known commodity to an unknown, which is never a comforting feeling when you're looking at a bullpen. That, but that's kind of the nature of bullpens, right? I feel like we do this every year. Yeah, just let's just let the bullpen happen instead of almost trying to construct it. Uh, has there ever been an example of a player, a pitcher? So our first memory of Carlos Martinez is as a relief pitcher in 2013, right? You know, he was yeah. super young. Then what was he, 20 years old, maybe? Maybe yeah. even younger than that. I, I, I'm trying to remember. He was very young. Um, and that's, you know, that's totally normal for a pitcher that you're grooming to perhaps be a starting pitcher to uh, begin his career um, in the bullpen, as, as Adam Wainwright did. But then he becomes a starter. Um, and then goes back to the bullpen, um, and not just for 2018, but also 2019. Is there ever been an example of a pitcher going from a relief pitcher to a starter for several years, to a relief pitcher for um, uh, almost a, a for more than a full season, and then back to the starting rotation, all with the same yeah. club, no less? Yeah, I'm, I'm I sure don't there know. is, I, but I can't think I, of anyone. Yeah, not, I mean, it's obviously not common. <laughs> and I think what's even more strange is when you start looking at the, the, the latest move to the bullpen, 
is because it, it came off of a season where he was dealing with injury, right? And when they brought him back, they put him in the bullpen as opposed to the rotation. But let's be real, that season even, before the injury happened, he was one of the best pitchers in the league. So it's not like he was just some guy that they were getting innings out of in the rotation and then they bumped him to the bullpen because it was easier on his arm, which is a lot of people say it's not easier on your arm, but you know, whatever. There are a lot of arguments to be made there, but you're right. It just has always seemed so strange to me that he's kind of like this guy on the end of a yo-yo and, you know, there's all the, all the talk about the mental side of the game for him and his preparation and how, you know, he needs to be motivated in certain ways and and whatever. It just sounds to me like there's a lot more to that story than we're ever going to know probably, but it doesn't seem like they're utilizing him to the, to the fullest doing this back and forth. And I think to your point, there's going to come a time where they can't keep doing that back and forth. They're going to have to pick one. And I don't know that that's going to lead to, you know, at the end of the contract they gave him, they're, they're paying him as a starter, right? As the, at the end of that contract, are they going to feel like, cool, that was worth it? Or right. is it going to be like, huh, we never really, never really saw what he could have been. And I feel like that's a huge miss on the organization's part with Carlos Martinez. Of course, not to take away you know, his responsibility in that mix either. He has to be a professional about his job just like anybody else does. But I don't know. I I guess with all that's going on, trying to get baseball back, it was a little frustrating to me to already be hearing the back and forth about, well, we don't really know where Carlos Martinez is going to be used because it seems like such an obvious choice to me, but no one's paying me for that opinion. So, (laughs) Yeah. And look, I, I think let's be realistic and say, um, Carlos Martinez was not going to be the next Pedro Martinez because no one is going to be the next Pedro Martinez. But he clearly established himself as, if not a guy atop the rotation, certainly uh, the second guy, you know, your number two guy, and a very good number two guy. And he did that over the course of three and a half seasons as a starting pitcher, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I don't feel as though those guys come around all that often. Um, I, I feel just from a very anecdotal sense, we all know he has nasty stuff. He has a lot of pitches. I, I just don't understand. I will never understand, and I've said this a million times, um, so I probably don't need to keep saying it, but I will just never, I, I will never understand this urge to move him away from being a starting pitcher when that seems like such a valuable commodity in this league. Yeah. Agreed. I completely agree. It does leave the bullpen spots up for grabs a little bit, but as we just discussed, there are are a lot of guys still in that mix. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, considering how unstable the entire scenario around baseball is right now. And yeah, and let's be clear, having a bad bullpen is terrible. Yeah, (laughs) There's not like, was it 2018, I feel as though the season we just, our bullpen was just Mm -hmm. a disaster. And that is not fun to watch at all. So, you know, n- no one's conceding a bullpen or anything like that. But there's that also... Doesn't, that doesn't mean you need to have Carlos Martinez in your bullpen. Right. And there's also a difference in having a bad bullpen and having... Uh, look, bullpens are volatile. We know this. We've watched... We watched the Cubs, like, 
build what was supposed to be this great bullpen, right? And all these big names and all these proven commodity guys, and it was terrible. And we've seen that in a lot of places. So just having guys who've done it before doesn't mean they're going to do it again. Um, So yes, having a bad bullpen is a problem, but not having the names you thought were going to be there in the bullpen doesn't automatically mean it's going to be a bad bullpen. There are still quality arms in that conversation for the Cardinals. It's it always, as it is with bullpens comes down to who stays healthy (laughs) and who actually performs. And inevitably every season, there's somebody that steps in and surprises you. Look, Gallegos was a guy that I don't think at the beginning of the year last year, any of us would have predicted he was going to be such a key component to that bullpen. And I think John Brebbio was that guy the year before. So there's always somebody that steps up that surprises you. There's always somebody that lets you down that you were counting on. And that's kind of the nature of bullpens, which is why they're so hard. (laughs) They're so hard to build. They're so hard to manage. And when they're bad, it's very, very frustrating and very uh, of great consequence to the team, but it's, it's just a hard thing to get right. Yep. Well, we've managed to talk about actual baseball things for the duration of most of this podcast. I, I turned my stream off cause my phone was dying, but I, I don't know what's happening with the game currently. Is it there, is there an update? Okay. Did anyone ended. score? I, I, I don't think anyone scored. <laughs> okay. Um, which, uh, you know, I don't think I would be upset about that in a actual exhibition game against another team. So I'm certainly not going to be upset about that in a uh, right. inner squad game. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It was it was very hard to even know. I guess I was supposed to be like analyzing. You know, how, how how's the movement on Gomber's curve? You know, that <laughs> stuff. Like, but I was like, for a while. I was watching and trying to like think like who like am I who am I cheering for am I like are we winning <laughs> yeah. uh, like what's that? well that was like I was watching the first Jack Flaherty versus Yadier Molina at bat and I was like I don't I don't know what's happening here but it's very entertaining and I, I guess I guess as a fan I win either way <laughs> um, but yeah th- these games like most of spring training, but kind of to a different level are fascinating to watch as they're so different from anything else that's more real. But I do think to kind of circle back to where we started, it felt a little bit more like we're closing in on the possibility of baseball, which was at least for the moment, (laughs) a nice reprieve from the skepticism that I think I and a lot of other people have felt so far. Totally. Well, that's all they wrote in St. Louis. That's all I have to say about that game and about the latest as it relates to the Cardinals and how they're planning to move forward. So, Alex, I think that means it is time for the Chirp of the Week. All right. So, I was um, messing around on Twitter, like, I want to say one day last week, and I happened to see a tweet that, says something to the effect, and I apologize um, that I'm not even going to be able to tell you who wrote the tweet because I don't remember, and I, I didn't go back and look for it again. But it basically said, like, uh, after Ichiro's eighth or ninth plate appearance in the majors, um, like when his career began, he got a hit, which raised his batting average to above 300, 
and uh, for the rest of his career, it never fell below 300. And that was a career that lasted over 10,000 plate appearances. Um, and that makes sense, right? Ichiro, you know, he got off such a blazing start. Right. Um, and I think he finished his, I want to say he finished like around batting like around 310, although I could be wrong. But I started thinking about like uh, other players where that would like, you know, be interesting to look at. And obviously the first player I thought of with regard to the Cardinals was Stan Musial because one, he had a super long career in the majors. He has the eighth most played appearances all time for any player ever. And he batted, had a career batting average of 331, which is very good. And I look today, it's the ninth best batting average for players with more than 10,000 plate appearances for their career. So I started wondering, like, I wonder when Musial first reached 300 for good. Um, because I know he, I, I had always known that he got off to, like, he had a very good, like, first season. It wasn't a full year. He came up in September and had, like, 50 plate appearances. But I still wasn't quite sure if he had even finished that very small partial season above 300. And the answer is absolutely insane. Um, assuming my research methods are correct, and I think they are. Um, <laughs> but his very first game was on September 17th, 1941. It was against the Boston Braves, uh, who are now the Atlanta Braves, and who might not even be the Braves for that much longer, for all <laughs> we know. Um, Anyway, uh, his first at-bat in the first inning, bottom of the first, his game was in St. Louis, he popped out to the third baseman. But he came up again in the third inning and hit a double, which meant for his career, he was batting 500, uh, one for two. And he got another hit that day, and his batting average never, ever dipped below 300 after that first plate appearance. So he got out in his very first at bat and got a hit his next at bat, and that was it. And then he wow. compiled 12,720 straight plate appearances until he retired, all with a batting average over 300, which is super, super cool and something I had never known or heard which seems crazy for how online a lot of Cardinals fans are. And we're constantly sharing stats about players like Stan Musial, for instance. How many times have you seen that? You know, he has 3,630, what did I say? Yeah, yeah, 630 career hits and 1815 at home and 1815 on the yeah. road. You know, we're always sharing Stan Musial fun facts. But I'd never seen that one, which one made me think either – I screwed up and I'm wrong, but I double-checked it a bunch of times and I'm positive I'm not. Or somehow I just missed this. And you know how like on Twitter, like you never want to make a joke because if you actually search, you'll find out someone has already made that exact same joke or made the exact same comment or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I just assume like somehow I'd miss this when this <laughs> point had been made a bunch of times. So I actually dm shop top because i feel like if anyone would know it would be you know a huge cardinals nerd sure. like shop yeah. i don't think he'd be upset <laughs> if you heard me say that uh, and he he didn't think he had heard it either um so yeah there you go uh stan musial it took him no more than two plate appearances to bat 300 and he never went below it again and so then i started wondering is this the record did he have the most consecutive plate appearances? Again, 12,720. 
while batting above 300. And Tara, I, I, I want to tell you a miracle. Um, I actually wrote something today. Um, I saw that. But that is a miracle. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, people are pivoting to video. I pivoted a long time ago to absolutely nothing, I guess, uh, but not writing. Uh, but I, I wrote something today wondering if this was the case. And yes, it is. Uh, the only other people who would perhaps give him uh, a push on it would be Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, and Pete Rose. But wow. through the various, you know, things of their career, they never once put together a stretch for that long where they were over 300 for their entire careers, although they were all three pretty close. Um, and so I thought that was amazing and also very cool. And the last thing I will say is, you know, Stan Musial retired in 1963. And he retired, like I said, with a 331 career batting average. And what's amazing is, as soon as I pull it up, because I stupidly closed it, uh, <laughs> but where is it? Yes, he could have, let's say he didn't retire in 1963 and kept playing. He could have gone O for his next 1,150, and he still would have had an even batting average right at 300. Wow. So that's how far above that 300 mark that he was. That's how amazing of a career he had. And, you know, to, to have a 331, I know no one cares about batting average anymore, but I still sort of do. And to have a 331 batting average is always pretty good. And, but when you do it over the course of almost 13,000 career plate appearances, then it's pretty darn amazing. Um, and the fact that he got off to such a quick start and was basically a, at least a 300 career hitter his entire career is just so yeah. cool and amazing to me. Um, and it'll, it'll continue to be so cool and amazing until someone pops up and shows me how I screwed up my research and I'm totally <laughs> wrong. But I don't think I did. Like I said, I checked it a bunch of times. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, that's – it's one thing to kind of just know that Sam Usual was great in so many ways. But to break it down like that is – that's really kind of mind blowing, especially, you know, now we watch so many of these superstar talented players come up and make their big league debut. And even if they get off to a hot start, they fall apart at some point and have to climb back up. Plus, I, I mean, there aren't a lot of guys who eclipse that 300 average mark on a consistent basis these days. So yeah, that's pretty incredible. And just one more reason that Stan usual is just the awesome. greatest. Yeah. Yeah. So Another quick thing I'm going to say about him. I, I mentioned he came up uh, in late September, that first season, 1941, and got off to a blazing hot start. He only had 49 plate appearances in 1941, but still, he batted 426. Can you imagine <laughs> how crazy we, you know, think about like when Tommy Edmond came up and just, like whenever a guy comes up and he just looks merely competent and how yeah. excited we are about that mm -hmm. guy. Um, <laughs> Not totally overmatched. <laughs> yeah, he batted 426. Um, and uh, we would have been going crazy about him. Yeah. Um, and the very next season, he, uh, he he also got off to a very fast start, hit 315. Uh, that was a full year. Where that was 536 plate appearances. And then by 1943, he was off and running. Uh, hit 357, led the National League. In hitting, uh, also in on base and in slugging and in OPS, OPS plus, basically anything you can imagine. Uh, hits, doubles, triples, um, and he didn't bat below 300 for a season until 16 years later in 1959. 
Wow. Uh, four years before he officially hung it up. So yeah, just absolutely amazing career. Yeah, that's pretty special. And, you know, I know we talked a couple of weeks ago about how crazy it is the all the talent that we've seen kind of in our generation of watching baseball but it is cool to know that that's going even further back that's the legacy that uh that was set in those very long ago days for the st louis cardinals for some of us anyway (laughs) not for everybody but long ago enough that it's easy to kind of forget how incredible sam usual was for the duration of his career so thanks for that that was fun you're welcome and uh, thanks for talking about whatever the version of baseball is that we were watching tonight, which was also strangely very fun. And hopefully we get a lot more of that to talk about as we go. So if you enjoyed it, if there was some oddity about the inner squad game that you liked, feel free to let us know. I know I was watching Carlos Martinez behind the plate. That was very fascinating. He's such a character and I love it so much. So let us know what you liked, what you think of the Carlos Martinez situation or anything else. And we will talk about it again next week. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you then. 